0: there, welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com podcast. Hey there, it's
1: Liz Bohr from Real World NP, and you're watching NP Practice Made Simple, the weekly videos to help save you time, frustration, and help you learn faster so you can take the best care of your patients. So today I'm going to be talking about preoperative exams. Um, It's kind of a big topic, but I'm going to do my very best to kind of give you an overview of guidance of how I conduct my exams and how I recommend you do um, based on the available guidelines. A couple disclaimers I want to make uh, from the beginning is that there are... if you are a algorithm loving tool loving kind of girl like I am or boy um that you might be a little bit disappointed uh, for pre-op exams because they're they're a little bit complicated so it really the the one of the take homes I want you to to take away from this is that um each each pre-op exam is for that patient at that time with those chronic conditions for that type of surgery unfortunately so uh, it's really hyper individualized and that's for a very good reason is because it's just, there's a lot to think about. So with that in mind, I think it's really important that you, I, I really want to stress that you ask questions whenever you're not sure, right? So there's a spectrum of the different types of, of, Pre-ops we're seeing right there's healthy patients undergoing low risk surgeries all the way through very complicated multiple chronic comorbidities very ill patients under trying to undergo high risk surgeries or asking for your clearance Um, and so i'm going to be talking a little bit more towards the the kind of second one i mentioned just because that's kind of come up as a lot uh as a question a lot but one other kind of like disclaimer i want to add is that i'm a family nurse practitioner and i've been doing this for four years however the patients that i'm seeing are generally on the healthier side or um, uh, are having lower risk surgeries if they have some, some come up. Chronic comorbidities. So, um, I'm actually, I think that's actually a benefit for making this video though, because you I, I, if I were to switch over to that type of practice in internal medicine, doing those kind of higher risk patients, this is, the, this is what I would do. So, um, just one other thing to say before we start is that, um, you kind of want to have a discussion with your supervisor. I'm going to be going over kind of like the steps that I recommend that I would take if I was kind of transitioning into that practice of a more intense internal medicine, um, position, uh, in, in terms of doing, I mean, my job is intense, but it's just not doing that intense skill. Um, This is kind of like the approach that I would take, but I would also um, present this to my um, collaborating physician and my supervisor and talk about, um, here's my approach. And is this something that you recommend? Um, Do you have other protocols in the clinic? Do you have other forms that patients fill out? Like things like that, just having that kind of discussion first. Now that those disclaimers are all out of the way, actually, this is one more kind of disclaimer, is that people talk about pre-op clearance. It's not clearance don't say clearance. I don't say clearance anymore. It's really like you can never erase the risk somebody has um, of having a surgery, but what you're doing is you're optimizing the surgery so that optimizing their health so that the surgery is as low risk as possible. And you're talking about the risks and benefits uh, and alternatives and deciding if the risks outweigh the benefits, right? Because there is always the option of not clearing somebody, right? Or not recommending them to have surgery but optimizing is the is the kind of buzzword to use in perioperative medicine it sounds like. So I first kind of start my assessment um with this uh is it a low risk surgery, moderate or high risk surgery and that kind of frames the workup and the history questions and all the stuff that I'm doing, right? So a low risk surgery for example is like a cataract surgery. Um not a whole lot that you have to do to kind of clear them for surgery, right? To to optimize them for surgery because the biggest compl- risk for complication is for having an uncontrolled high blood pressure. Um, Whereas, you know, if you have some sort of um, GI surgery or brain surgery, things like that, um, those have different risks, right? And so the risk is based on how much, uh, how long the surgery is, um, how much blood loss there is and the fluid shifts. Um, and unfortunately there's no comprehensive list that I've found. I found a, a pretty solid one. And actually I should have mentioned that I have a uh, handout down below this video, kind of with a, with a cheat sheet of the information I'm going to be giving you in this video. So talking about the, the risks, uh, and the risks of the different types of surgeries is on there. If you find that there's a surgery that's not listed, um, this is again, if I was not in, in your shoes, I would, I would discuss with one of my collaborating, um, providers and I would say, you know, are you familiar with the surgery? How long it is? How involved it is, and would you assess it to be a low, moderate, or high risk? Um, And again, I kind of also, like as as another kind of direction pointer, um, you can kind of search and see if there's specific information for the evaluation, pre-op evaluation for cataract surgery, for example, or pre-op evaluation for, uh, cholecystectomy or something like that. Um, they may or may not exist, but that's like another kind of path to go, to go down. So once I've kind of determined if it's low, moderate or high, kind of like if it's a low risk cataract surgery, I'm not necessarily going to get into the full thing necessarily. Right. Um, but if I've determined it's kind of like a moderate to high risk, I'm gonna kind of go down this, this is the typical path that I would go down. And so I'm gonna kind of, the framework is that I'm assessing their chronic conditions, I'm assessing their cardiac um, and pulmon, uh, uh, pulmonary risk scores, uh, risk risk factors, um, and kind of taking it from there, as well as like recapping their medications, getting an accurate social history, doing the full physical exam, and then deciding what testing to do. So the main risks of having a surgery are uh, death, uh, cardiac complications and pulmonary complications. There's others, of course, but those are kind of like the main ones you want to think about in terms of framing your pre-op exam. So um, for assessing the um, cardiac risk, I'm just going to kind of go through there. There's the most to talk about with that one, but um, so what you're, the kind of two scenarios that we're talking about are somebody who has established cardiovascular disease, aortic stenosis, AFib, Um, history of an MI, those patients, me personally, this is a recommendation that I'm gonna make is that they go see their cardiologist to have their input on the preoperative optimization. Are they optimized from their cardiologist perspective or at the very least get them on the phone, right? Um, And say like, what are your kind of thoughts about this? Once I've kind of gathered all of my information and get like, so I can present the case, right? Which I talk about in uh, how to ask questions the right way. uh, If you haven't seen that video yet, Uh, kind of getting all your stuff together before you're asking all the questions and asking very specific questions, especially of a specialist, Um, and then you have the other patient who's coming in that you're kind of the detective and you're deciding, are we, is there an underlying cardiovascular disease that we haven't discovered yet that if we don't discover it is going to put them at risk for cardiovascular complications, like around their surgery or risk for death, right? Which is like, little. so here's, here's the approach that I recommend. So you're kind of asking a, a history, right? So you're talking about, do you have any obvious signs, right? Of angina, shortness of breath, dyspnea exertion, edema, things like that. Like, do they have a story of something that's coming that we haven't really assessed yet? And also we're going to look at functional capacity. So that's talking about like, what are they capable of doing in their day-to-day lives? Are they able to like go grocery shopping, go up the stairs, walk around the um, block without any of those symptoms, right? Or are they not? And there's a couple of tools you can use. One is called the MET score, M-E-T-S. So these are where this, the scoring tools come in, make your job a little bit easier. Um, the MET score and that kind of, you can just ask them the questions and then fill that out and that gives them a score. And so if it's four or more, they're less likely to have cardiovascular complications. And so for those patients you know, depending on the history and what your assessment is, plus the functional capacity that MET score, you can decide, are they at risk for cardiovascular complications or not? Like, are they at risk for an underlying, um, CAD or something like that? That's kind of what we're getting at here, but that's kind of like what I would do. There's another one called the, um, The next thing is, aside from assessing functional capacity, is the cardiovascular risk specifically in a surgery. Um, And there's a couple of tools for that. Um, The NESQIP is one of them, N-S-Q-I-P, and then the Revised Cardiac uh, Risk Index, I believe, is the other one. Um, And so that kind of, they don't overlap, so it's kind of you pick one or the other. They don't really compare to each other. Um, And again, just depends on your conversation you've had with your supervisor of like, Should we be using the Nesquip? Do you use this? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, And using that kind of with a grain of salt, right? Because that's not perfect. I mean, the METS isn't perfect either, but the Nesquip, um, again, which is like a tool where you input the type of surgery they have, their age, their risk factors, the medications, like things like that. It's, It's a whole online thing. Again, it's in that handout. And you can kind of use that to inform your clinical judgment. And I think the main drawback for that is they don't have every surgery and it's not perfect, right? You can't just look at that and you're like, okay, you're, you're done. You know, it's really like more complex than that. Um, but it's helpful in terms of gathering a tool if that's something that your supervisor recommends. So um, so that's like the main thing for cardiovascular. And what your kind of conclusion about that is, is there do they have a less than 1% risk of death or complications or greater than 1%? And if it's greater than 1%, then they need cardiovascular evaluation. And so what does that look like? Personally, I really recommend you send them to cardiology because it's one thing to know to order a stress test but it's another thing to be able to order the correct one and interpret it correctly and then to follow up and decide whether you need more testing because it's a false negative or something like that you know it's just a, I mean not that you like you can do it if you want to but never feel yourself pressured to do so because I feel like I just hear that, and this is maybe a soapbox moment, but I just feel like I hear from so many new grads who put that pressure on themselves. Of like, I have to know it. I just, like, I know to order stress, so I'm going to do it. But then again, like, you have to just be really careful with the things that you get back. And, like, maybe there's another test that they would recommend instead, you know. Again, that's my own personal opinion, just to save yourself a little bit of sanity. And it's the, you know, it's, it's a right thing to do. Both of them are right, you know. But... It's okay to send them to cardiology, and that's what I recommend. And then pulmonology, uh, pulmonary—that's kind of that's kind of the cardiac risk assessment. So the pulmonology risk assessment is a little bit less, less algorithmic. Doesn't I don't like it as much. Less guideline based, but it seems same. More of the story here goes is that do they have an established COPD, asthma? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Sleep apnea. I keep forgetting about sleep apnea. But do they have those established already? Um, do they see a pulmonologist already? I'm gonna have a conversation with a pulmonologist or have them see the pulmonologist to get their opinion about if this is a if this is a high risk surgery or is it appropriate risk for them? You know. Otherwise, are you assessing somebody who has an underlying lung disease that hasn't been uncovered yet? So, do they have some risk factors for sleep apnea? There's that STOP-Bang um, scoring, which again I'll put in the the handout, um, which you can kind of like guide and see if you have sleep apnea. Not necessarily that's going to bar you from having surgery, but it's just another factor to think about. Again, when you get all this data and this information, what I personally would do if I was in that situation was that I'd get all the information, do all like the physical exam, the history, all that stuff, present it to my supervising physician or collaborator. Um, and then ask what they think, you know, so again, so do they have a long-term smoking history? Do they have dyspnea that hasn't been diagnosed yet? Do they have a cough that's not diagnosed yet? Like things like that, like let's just make sure that that's optimized first. So maybe you need to delay the surgery until they see pulmonology. Again, you could consider doing a chest x-ray versus a pul- you know pulmonary function tests. Um, But uh again, do you feel confident with your pu- PFT interpretation? I'm just gonna be real right now that I don't <laughs> feel that confident with PFTs. It's something that I'm working on. But again, I'm not a pulmonologist in terms of like, I, there are certain things that I understand about it. Right. But like, do I feel confident differentiating between COPD versus interstitial lung disease versus like other things that are going on? Right. Um, it's not just as simple as asthma and COPD. It's just not, that's why there's pulmonary as a, as a specialist. So anyway, I'm being on a soapbox, but it's for your benefit because I don't want you to feel that pressure of having to do all the things and be all the things at all at once. Cause I definitely, I hear that over and over again. And I felt that myself too. Um, so cardiac risk, uh, so low, medium or high risk, cardiac risk assessment, pulmonology risk assessment there's no tools that i'm aware of deciding what testing they, they need to do if they need to do anything and then the next thing is like once you've kind of like met those things is thinking about like what are their chronic conditions right so you're kind of optimizing those right so they have diabetes i 'm just doing a recap in the history of like um, diabetes A1C in, in October 2019 was um, 6.8. They take Metformin twice a day. Um, blood sugars have been this and this, nothing less than less than 70, greater than 300. Here are the symptoms. they are asymptomatic. Um, same thing for hypertension, just like a recap of like their chronic conditions and you don't necessarily have to do like the full laundry list. I mean it really depends again, conversation with your supervisor, but if they've got like seven chronic conditions, if you can do your best to do a very quick recap of all that stuff, like that can be really helpful for the surgeon um, and, and the medical team that's taking care of it because they don't know the baseline like you do, right? Um, and then in terms of the, phys- the the ROS and the physical exam, those are really the main thing is like respiratory and cardiovascular. So um, like cough, shortness of breath, dyslexia, exertion, chest pain, syncope, near syncope, edema. Um, but then also relevant to the type of surgery they're having, right? Are they having eye surgery? Maybe do an eye ROS, right? Um, uh, but like... The full physical exam. I just that's my default because you know, again, it's it's a there's a lot of complex moving parts, and if they've got something cardiac or respiratory, they could have something you know in their abdomen, like they could have distended at like, just I just do the full thing, and maybe you do something different, and maybe your supervisor tells you to do something different, in which case do that, right? But that's what I'm gonna start with. I'm gonna get all that information, do my exam. Presented. The other history questions you want to think about um, are really good social history. So um, are they drinking alcohol? Um, How much? How often? Things like that. Because they could go into alcohol withdrawal. Like that's pretty serious. How much do they smoke? Um, Again, like nicotine withdrawal, things like that. And then um, do they have any history of like malignant um, hyperthermia? um, Having had surgery before? Have they ever had surgery before? And then the medications, like what are they taking for meds? that's actually like a whole discussion in and of itself. So I don't really have like good rules for that, but that really is case by case dependent and surgery dependent, whether or not they continue aspirin or stop aspirin, um, continue beta blockers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so again, I'd, I'd either talk with a surgeon or collaborate with my physician depending on the case. Right. So, um, so I think that's it. And, and, you know, I didn't really touch a ton on like the healthy, uh, patient with a low risk surgery very much, but I'll, I will I want to keep this short and sweet if I can. There's a list of history questions that are included in the handout down below that I kind of have my um, students, I kind of give to my students to do a pre-op exam on somebody that's, uh, that's on a healthier, that kind of like, again, just like elicits any history of cardiovascular disease or liver disease or stuff stuff like that. Um, you're just trying to uncover what, what else is going on under there, right? So you don't have any surprises around the time of um, having that surgery. You know, one other thing actually I want to add is about the testing. So, one quick thing before before I, I wrap up is that for testing, what we overtest in the United States for uh, preoperative exams. There aren't for the healthy adult with a lower risk surgery. There really isn't very much that's recommended at all. Again, please look at your case-by-case situation. But the kind of the, the the main testing I want you to think about is if they have any cardiac risk factor, hypertension, hyper high cholesterol, other cardiac abnormalities, consider doing a chest uh, an, an EKG, also considering that in diabetes and and CKD. The rationale for that being like you're getting a baseline because they're at higher risk for um, complications but also can you can help like detect anything that's abnormal that they need to have investigated before their surgery right um chest x-rays one to consider maybe uh case by case dependent if they're a long-term smoker things like that um if they have an older age things like that a uh, higher risk surgery um uh hemoglobin is recommended for adults over the age of 65, um, like a CBC, um, or people who are under 65, if they have a higher risk, higher blood loss surgery. Um, and then again, like it depends on the surgery, right? Are they having a GU surgery, they should probably have a urinalysis, right? But like urinalysis for everybody, there isn't really enough evidence to recommend that. So So again, always collaborate, always ask questions, case-by-case dependent, but um, those are kind of like the main ones to think about. I think the most important is the EKG for people who have cardiac risk factors, because again, you're just digging to find if there are any cardiac abnormalities. And and if you have any question about somebody with pulmonary abnormalities and you're not quite sure, do a chest x-ray. Do they have any abnormalities? Um feel free to send it to Palm. So that's it. I'm sorry. That was so much information. I tried to keep it as short and sweet as possible. Hopefully it was more helpful than it was confusing. And I hope that there were some helpful tips you can take away into your practice, because again, it's such case by case dependent that you just have to be as careful as you can. And then just ask for help when you need it. And just don't push yourself too hard because it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to refer out when you need to. And I say this a lot, but I just got to keep saying it because I keep hearing it over and over again. So I hope that makes you feel a little bit better. Definitely leave a comment below. Um, if this video was helpful, I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you have a difference of opinion about what testing we should be doing, uh, definitely let me know. Maybe that's a little controversial. Hopefully it's not hopefully it's reassuring. Um, and um, yeah, any other screening tools you use or other suggestions that you have or recommendations, things like that. And hopefully there's nothing I left out. Don't forget to grab your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP over at realworldnp.com if you haven't grabbed one already. And uh, you'll get uh, these videos sent straight to your inbox with notes from me, um, bonus content that I just don't share anywhere else. So thank you so much for watching.
0: Uh, hang in there and I'll see you next time. that's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review and tell all your NP friends. So together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible, give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com slash guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.